0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: W I L V L E our theme song, and you're saying Tributal Radio, I'm your host Melissa Carchola and you're just start your lesson. This is John McCarther and it's called How to let's see, wait, that's not it. It's the principles of let's see, well Principles of Power powerful Living. Here on Tributary.
2: Real strength is from God by His Spirit. Paul says, I pray for you that you would be strengthened by His Spirit in the inner man. As you yield to the Spirit, He strengthens you. Do you see the simplicity of what Paul is saying? If you just get in the Word and yield to the Spirit, you'll be alert, you'll be firm, you'll be mature, you'll be strengthened.
3: Welcome to Grace to You Weekend with John MacArthur. I'm your host, Phil Johnson. Before we start today's lesson, let me ask, did you lock your doors last night? I certainly did. It's a simple, effective protection from burglars. Now, if you're a Christian, you're up against an enemy who's far worse than any thief. I'm talking, of course, about Satan. How do you keep him at bay? Find out today as John MacArthur begins a series titled, The Believer's Armor. It will answer two critical questions. How does Satan attack believers? And how do you fight back? For answers, stay here as John begins the lesson. Take your
2: Bible, will you with me? And let's look together at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We look at verses 13 and 14. Let me read them to you just so that you'll get the picture of what we're going to discuss this morning. Watch... Stand fast in the Lord, quit you like men, be strong, let all your things be done in love. Now that's a very short text, but it is literally loaded with things that we need to understand. It's just a high-impact kind of text, and we're going to see five wonderful imperatives that I call principles for powerful living. Let's look at these five military commands given to the believer. Number one, be alert. The first one is be alert. And the word here in verse 13 is watch. Watch. Second point in principles for powerful living is to be firm. Be alert, number one, and be firm, number two. I like people who are firm, don't you? I like people who stand for what they believe. I don't like people who float and vacillate and go with the wind, you know. I like people who really believe what they believe and hold to it. And you see here, he says, stand fast in the faith. And the Greek word stako, and I always think of driving a stake when I hear that word. Boy, boom, you're rooted there. He says, be firm. Now, the Bible tells us to be firm, and we are to stand for the faith. 2 Thessalonians 2.14 says the gospel... Is that by which we've been called to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast. Now listen, and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. You hold these things that you've been taught by the word, by the epistle. What is the key then, beloved? What is the key then to being firm? It's the word, isn't it? It's the apostolic doctrine, it's the epistles. If you're going to be alert, you've got to look into the Word to see through it into the world. If you're going to be firm, you've got to know what the doctrine of the Word is, and you've got to stay in the Word. So the key to being alert, the key to being firm is the Word. Thirdly, another military command fired out by Paul is this. Watch. Stand fast in the faith. I love this. Act like what? Men. Act like men. I call this be mature. Be mature. Quit you like men. That simply means to act like a man. It's an interesting word, appearing, I think if I remember correctly, only here in the New Testament. Yes, it's the only time it's ever used. But it's used in the Septuagint, and translated often, be of good courage. So it has the idea of courage. But it also is used in, an, in, in reference to maturity. There, there are, those both are in it, the idea of courage and maturity. But then again, aren't those almost coequal? A child, somebody immature, tends not to be courageous. A mature person tends to be courageous. A child tends to be rather fearful. A mature person tends to have a sense of control and confidence. And that's essentially what he's saying. You should be courageous men, grown up and mature. Conduct yourself in a manly way might be one way to translate on Dridzo. Let me just emphasize the maturity element of it because the courage part has to come along behind the maturity. In chapter 14, verse 20... Paul, again, had dealt with the Corinthians so many times on this, but look what he says in 1420. Brethren, he says, be not children in understanding. In evil be children, but in understanding what? Be men. Grow up. He has said this to them in so many terms again and again and again. In chapter 4, he said, I have to talk to you like sons, and he says, I have to treat you like little kids, and if you don't shape up, I'm going to come to you, and if I come to you, I'm going to spank you if I have to. He literally says that. He says, do you want me to come with a rod? Whack, whack, whack. Say, you don't shape up? They were a bunch of babies. They were, they were not men in understanding, they were not men in courage, and they were not men in maturity. They were babies, fighting, squabbling, immature, flopping around from every false doctrine like Ephesians 4.14 says. They were just infantile, and consequently they could not defend themselves against the onslaughts of Satan. Go back to the third chapter, the most familiar text on this theme. And I, brethren, he says, I could not speak to you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babies in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for so this time you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. You're like a bunch of babies. I can't even dispense good solid food. I have to keep giving you this milk stuff. They were infantile. They had not grown up. They had to be dealt with like children. They had to be spanked. They had sibling rivalries even. They were taking brothers to court, fighting, squabbling. Paul even says to them in the 13th chapter, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. But when I became a man, I what? I put away childish things. Even their religious worship was infantile. It was all based on feelings and emotions rather than truth and doctrine. So Paul says, grow up. And you know something? If they'd just grown up, they would have eliminated a whole lot of problems. A whole lot. Carnality, fighting, squabbling. An infantile kind of religion. An emotional thing would have given way to something where they contemplated the truth if they were men in understanding. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, it says we should all grow up into the fullness of the stature of whom? Christ. Grow up into Him who is the head and be no more children. See? Grow up. Say, how do I do that, John? I know how to be... to be alert. I look through the Word. I know how to be firm, to know the doctrine of the Word. But how can I grow up? I'll tell you how. As babes desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow. Same thing. Just get in the Word, you'll find out you'll be alert. That's a great place to start. You'll be firm, and you'll begin to mature. It's not so tough. It's all right here in the Word. Fourth, and this is the only passive form verb in the text. Be strengthened. He doesn't say, be strong. You know why? Because you can't strengthen yourself. That's something the Lord has to do. That's like Paul said in Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. It's a word that can mean a strengthening of the Spirit. Strengthening of the inside. Strong inner man, a strong spirit, watch this, that can overcome the flesh. The Corinthians were not strengthened. The flesh ruled. Whatever the flesh told them, they did it. They couldn't handle the flesh. He says, you are carnal. You are victims of the flesh. Now, what's amazing about it is that they thought they were strong. Oh, man, they thought they were something else. In fact, they said in chapter 4, Paul says, you say, you think I'm afraid to come. You're such hot stuff that I'm afraid to face you. He'll never come and see us. We're too tough to handle. He says in chapter 10, verse 12 to them, let him that thinks he stands take heed. What? Lest he fall. They thought they were so strong. They were anything but. Look at fourth chapter. He says in verse 6, you're puffed up. Verse 18, you're puffed up. Chapter 5, verse 2, you're puffed up. No question about it. They were puffed up. Thought they were hot stuff. Strong. Big shots. Virtual superstars so he says let me talk to you a little bit you're so proud verse seven who made you different what do you have that you didn't receive and if you received it why are you glorying as if you didn't receive it what makes you think you're so hot if you're different than anybody else god made you that way and if you've got anything god gave it to you it had nothing to do with you anyway you really think you're so? boy they thought they were so strong so smug so he says in verse eight. And boy, he just he gets so sarcastic. This is the most sarcastic part of the book. Now you are full. Now you are rich. You have reigned as kings without us, aren't you? Hot stuff. Full and rich and royalty. Then he says, "I would to God you did reign." It's all just sarcasm. But they thought they were just kings, you know. Full, rich. And then he makes a comparison. He says, I think that God hath set forth us, the apostles, last as, if, as it were appointed to death. He, he starts comparing them to the apostles. For we are made a spectacle of the world and angels and men. Now watch how sarcastic he gets. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. See, they thought they were. You are honorable, but we are despised. In other words, he says, by what you say, you're the hot shots and we're the losers. That's how proud they were. They were looking down from their vantage point on the apostles. He says, To this present hour, we hunger, we thirst, we're naked, we're buffeted, we have no place to dwell, we labor with our hands, we're reviled, we we're persecuted, we're defamed, we became the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things. That's us. But they thought they were hot stuff. They didn't know what Paul was saying here was this. True greatness comes through true humility, right? When we're weak, then we're what? Strong. He said that in the second letter to them. They thought they were so strong. They weren't strong at all. And because they were so weak spiritually, they actually became weak physically. And because of, listen to this, 1130 says, because of your spiritual weakness and the way you have treated the sacred things, many of you are weak and sickly, and some of you, what? Sleep. In other words, their spiritual weakness brought about physical weakness, disease and death. They thought they were so strong they were weak. And Paul had to urge them in chapter 9, verse 24, he says, look, don't you know this is a race? Don't you know that if you're going to win, you're going to have to run. And if you're going to run, you're going to have to strive for the mastery. That means discipline yourself, temper it in all things. You can't, you can't live the Christian life flabbily in a sloppy, half-hearted, half-baked way. If you're going to run, run to win. And if you're going to run to win, you're going to discipline yourself. Paul says, I keep under my body and I bring it into subjection. Self-discipline. The reckless, flabby, undisciplined and weak Corinthians thought they were so strong. They thought they could indulge themselves to the hilt with no concern for man or God, and Paul says, you can't do that. I'm I'm telling you, you have to be engaged in a life of self-denial and a life of self-sacrifice and a life of self-discipline. The New Testament tells us to be strong. Ephesians 6.10 tells us to be strong in the Lord against Satan. Philippians 4:13 tells us to be strong in service. Paul says, "I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me," and he was talking about his ministry and his service. Colossians 1:10 and 11, we are to do good works, being strengthened. In Daniel 11:32, that great verse says, "The people that know the Lord shall be strong and do exploits." You say, "Well, how, John? Uh, being alert, being firm, being mature through the Word." But how can I be strong? Well, that's a passive thing, a passive verb. That comes from another source. You say, what's the source? Psalm twenty-seven fourteen says this. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Who is the one who gives us strength? It's the Lord. It's the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, Ephesians six ten. You say, but how? By His Holy Spirit. Ephesians 3.16 says that we are to be strengthened by His Spirit in the inner man. As you yield your life to the Spirit of God, then you will be strengthened by His strength. Real strength is from God by His Spirit. Paul says, I pray for you that you would be strengthened by His Spirit in the inner man. As you yield to the Spirit, He strengthens you. Do you see the simplicity of what Paul is saying? If you just get in the Word and yield to the Spirit... You'll be alert, you'll be firm, you'll be mature, you'll be strengthened. There's a fifth. Be loving. Be loving. This is such an important one because it balances everything else off. You know, if we just had the first four, we might become really kind of crusty and militant in the world. So he says in verse 14, and in everything you do, do it with love, or literally in love. Let all your things be done in love. Here we are, we just got marching orders, we're just firmed up, ready for battle, suited up for war, we've had these commands barked at us like a sergeant would marshal the troops for his battle, Uh, we've been told to fight, and at the same time he backs away and says, now by the way, the attitude I want all of you to have in everything you do is an attitude of love. That's that's the beautiful softening principle, unretreating courage, unfailing love, and they have to come side by side. Too much love and not enough standing, and you're going to wash away in sentimentalism. Too much standing and not enough love, and you're going to be sort of an ugly theologian. Got to be both. Got to have love and sound doctrine. We see these things again and again and again and again through the New Testament. They've got to go together. Let everything you do be done in love. And by love, we simply mean self-sacrificing service to the one in need. That's all. Self-sacrificing service to the one in need. Not emotion, not a feeling, but an act of love, an act of service. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. And the way he just loved them was to wash their feet. And that's how we love, by washing feet. That is meeting the need of a person who has a need. Now, the Corinthians were not loving. Oh, my, you know that. In the very first chapter, he says you're fighting each other. Chapter 1, verse 10, he says there's schismata among you, divisions, hassles. Chapter 3, he says, one says, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, I am of Christ. You're carnal, and there's divisions all over the place. Chapter 3. Chapter 5, he says, you're so perverted with your love that you're you're acting in immorality. You think love is lust. Not only that, you've defiled the very wife of your father. Further on, he says, you're joining yourself to a harlot. They had just really fouled up the whole kind of concept of love. In chapter 6, they were suing each other. In chapter 7, marriage partners were depriving each other. In chapter 8, stronger brothers were running roughshod over weaker brothers. In chapter 11, they were hogging the food at the Lord's feast, and the poor who came late had nothing to eat. There was no love there. They were not loving. They had an unloving approach to spiritual gifts. They were unloving in everything. And he reverses really the whole lifestyle in that one statement, let everything you do be done in love. That would solve it all. you got two things, he says. Then. You want to straighten your church out? Sound doctrine and love. You put those two things together, and you reverse the whole thing. You say, where do you get the love? How do you get that? Well, the first three came through the Word. The fourth one, I told you, came by the Spirit. Listen to this. Paul says, I pray for you, Ephesians 3.16, that you would be strengthened by His Spirit in the inner man. The next verse says, that you may know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. Love is from the Spirit. So you've got the Spirit and the, and the Word working together to provide sound doctrine and love to make the church to make the individual believer what God wants him to be now listen people listen be alert be firm be mature be strengthened be loving are the principles for a powerful life they are generated by the word and the Holy Spirit they come together to make sound doctrine and love which are the two pillars that hold the church up let's pray thank you Father again for the practical truth of the word of God and we We know you desire that we proclaim it with boldness and that we obey it with eagerness. So make us your people, living in the way that you want us to live, that we may truly do everything that we do to the glory of God. pray in Christ's name. Amen.
3: That's John MacArthur. Today he began a study titled The Believer's Armor. This is one of John's most popular series, and we're airing it as we celebrate 50 years of verse-by-verse teaching here on Grace To You Weekend. I'd like to go back to something at the beginning of today's lesson, John. You said Scripture is the foundation of a spiritually stable life. Or to say it another way, if we're going to stand firm in our faith and, and not be shaken by trials or temptations... We have to know and love the Word of God. And, of course, a lot of believers struggle to prioritize the Bible. Life gets busy. Studying the Bible is hard work. So with all of that in mind, I'm wondering, how can our listeners make Scripture a greater priority? Is it as simple as setting aside time every morning to read, or do you have other practical suggestions?
4: Well, I would never deny the fact that reading the Scripture is essential every day. But beyond reading the Scripture, you need to understand what you're reading. Uh, There's no virtue in some kind of mechanical reading of Scripture just for the sake of the reading of it. Uh, Obviously, that does plant some thoughts in your mind, but the real power of Scripture is to interpret it accurately. So I, I would suggest, and it's a basic reality, you will rise above trials and temptations. You will live a triumphant life, even in the most difficult of all experiences. When you understand the depth of biblical truth, you know, I was just telling you today, Phil, that I've gone through the last two years as hard a trial as I've ever known in my whole life Mm. um, because of things that were being done to me from people who were, you know, trying to do damage. And it lasted and lasted and lasted and lasted. And I can honestly say this. It was a, it was a battle. It's it's still a battle, although I think the, the Lord has given us victory at this point. But in the middle of the heat of battle and trying to figure out how to navigate this and sort out what was going to happen and how we were going to survive this and, and keep things intact to the honor of the Lord. I never had a moment when I didn't trust the Lord's purpose. Mm. I never had a moment when I my joy was gone. I honestly never was angry with the people who were doing all of this i I never wished evil on those people. Uh, I was trying to navigate this and figure out what the Lord would have me do to get us to where we needed to be and the The reason it was never personal to me was because I know the Word of God and I know what the Word of God says genesis fifty twenty you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, and I knew that God had a good purpose, counted it all joy when you follow the various trials because trials produce patience, and God has a perfect work in the toughest of times. So I've always had the joy in my heart that this thing is going to reveal itself in the end, and there's going to be joy that's going to come out of this, because the Lord is refining me, and He's testing us, and He's putting us through this for His own glory. And as I told you today, that is exactly the way it turned out. And the reason I look at life that way is because I know the Scripture so well, and I understand what it means by what it says. So I would suggest to you, look. We have written the MacArthur New Testament commentary, not just to put on a shelf, although there are 34 volumes of it, but to make the Word of God in the New Testament available to you, verse by verse, phrase by phrase, word by word, 34 volumes of the MacArthur New Testament commentary. Explaining to you everything the New Testament means so that you can take ownership of it in your own heart and it can guide your life in a triumphant way. Get in touch with us today. Order the entire MacArthur New Testament Commentary Series available at
3: 25% off the normal price. That's right friend, and in fact for the rest of the year we're offering the MacArthur New Testament Commentary Series at 25% off the regular price. So get in touch now. Get a set for yourself or for a loved one. Contact us today. You can order at our website, gty.org, or call our toll-free number, 800-55-GRACE. Keep in mind, you don't have to order the whole set. Individual volumes are also available at a reasonable price. Maybe you'd like John's commentary on Ephesians. That's the text his current radio series is based on. So, to order a single volume or the entire MacArthur New Testament commentary series, call 800-55-GRACE or go online to gty.org. Now, turning the corner here, a special thanks to those of you who trust Grace to You with your support. That tells us that you're benefiting from John's teaching and you want others to receive the same blessing. And if you've never partnered with this ministry, but you want to help us take God's Word across the globe, call 800-55-GRACE or visit our website, gty.org. Now for John MacArthur, I'm Phil Johnson, inviting you back for next weekend's broadcast. John is going to show you how to put on the belt of truthfulness. That's on the next installment of his study, The Believer's Armor. Join us as we continue celebrating 50 years of unleashing God's truth one verse at a time on Grace To You Weekend.
5: Is work bad? This is Ken Ham, editor of the apologetic series of books, The New Answers Books. Today is Labor Day here in America. A day off work can be nice, especially when work is difficult, stressful, or exhausting. But work isn't a bad thing. You see, God created work from the very beginning. Even in God's very good creation, there was work to do, but it wasn't difficult. When Adam sinned, our world was broken and work was specifically cursed. So now it's difficult. But even so, we're encouraged to work hard as to the Lord. We're also encouraged to find rest in Christ. Many people try to work for their salvation, but that's only available as a free gift. This Labor Day, stop your work and rest in Christ for what he's freely done for you.
6: Get answers to your questions about science, the Bible, and more when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com and listen to this program again or view a transcript at AnswersRadio.com Blessed
0: is true
5: What's dominion? This is Ken Ham inviting your family to visit the Ark Encounter south of Cincinnati. In Genesis 1, mankind is given dominion over the earth. But what does that mean? Well, some people believe it means we can do whatever we want to the earth, that creation doesn't matter because it's all about us. Now, humans are the crown of God's creation. We alone are made in God's image, so we have a unique value that no animal or plant has. So we don't view human life as a blight on the earth or as less important. But that doesn't mean God doesn't care about everything else he made. Scripture is filled with references to God's care for creation. So having dominion means that we should use creation for our good and to God's glory, which means we take care of it.
6: Subscribe to receive free daily email insights from Ken Ham when you visit our website at AnswersRadio.com and listen to this program or others like it at AnswersRadio.com.
0: We kick it old school. We kick it old school. We kick it old school. get old school come on come on don't miss the latest craze hit it for a minute then it's on to the next phase easy come easy go the market Tool and we're here to kick it old school. Here we go, you know, we're going retro, we're cool as a rule. Yeah, we can't get old school. We can't get old school. We can't get old school. Rubbishly emerging like a moldy piece of bread. We act as if the holy word of God is all but dead.
5: I care for creation. This is Ken Ham, author and speaker on Genesis and all of the Bible's reliability. Yesterday we learned we have dominion over the earth for our good and God's glory. And that means we care for creation. But why? Well, first of all, because God does. The Bible tells us even the lowly sparrow and the lilies of the field have value in his eyes. And six times before the creation of mankind, God called his creation very good. Clearly, creation brings him pleasure. Second, creation points to our creator. The book of Romans says we're without excuse if we don't believe because creation testifies there's a creator. We can learn about God's invisible attributes from what he's made. So let's care for creation as God does.
6: Discover more about creation, evolution, science, and the Bible at AnswersRadio.com and listen to this program again or others like it when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com.
5: climate change. Is it alarming? This is Ken Han, an Aussie transplant with a passion for God's word and the gospel. We constantly hear from climate change alarmists that there's almost no hope for the earth, that we've ruined it, and the best we can do is damage control. But is that true? Well, the climate change debate is a lot like the creation versus evolution issue. What you believe about the past determines how you interpret the present. If you start with evolution of millions of years, you'll interpret the evidence differently from someone who starts with the history and God's word. So starting points matter. When we start with the history and God's word, we see, of course, that climates do change. But we don't need to be alarmed, and many scientists agree.
6: Get answers to your questions about science, the Bible, and so much more when you visit our award-winning website at AnswersRadio.com please go to AnswersRadio.com.
5: Climate change, is it alarming? This is Ken Han, an Aussie transplant with a passion for God's word and the gospel. We constantly hear from climate change alarmists that there's almost no hope for the earth, that we've ruined it, and the best we can do is damage control. But is that true? Well, the climate change debate is a lot like the creation versus evolution issue. What you believe about the past determines how you interpret the present. If you start with evolution of millions of years, you'll interpret the evidence differently from someone who starts with the history and God's word. So starting points matter. When we start with the history and God's word, we see, of course, that climates do change. But we don't need to be alarmed, and many scientists agree.
6: Get answers to your questions about science, the Bible, and so much more when you visit our award-winning website at AnswersRadio.com please go to AnswersRadio.com.
7: One man, one woman. All right? So now I know that if I am going to fornicate, it has to be in the context of marriage. Otherwise, fornication is a sin. So right now, now this is culturally, right now an adult can't get married to a child. Therefore, any sort of intimate act is a sin. So I, I can get that, can I? There's another Bible verse that I would ask you to consider putting together that would fall in the implicit text, and that would be Romans one thirty-one. The Bible talks about natural affections. We see this in nature, and, and, and we see it also, I, I think, even in age issues, that, that boys and girls, that it's natural that they're attracted. Even without the Bible, you, you just take a look at bodily functions, and it's like, well, that's natural. That, that, that's how that should work. That's what that's for. Those go together like that. That's a natural sort of thing. But there's also natural affections. The the, the Bible teaches that having desires that are just not in your category, it's it's a little, it's not natural. Again, implicit. An 80-year-old being attracted to an 8 year old would you say that's natural? There's something unnatural about that because it, it, it just doesn't, seem to, where there's something even intuitive about that. So I would say, without natural affections, is somebody who's attracted to something that's wrong. Don't we agree that an adult with a child is wrong? Now, I get it. You're talking, you're thinking, well, 16, 17, when is an adult? It's an arbitrary standard. I get that. I'm just trying to make the case from some implicit text here. Furthermore, consider Matthew 18. Jesus is talking about little children, and he's talking about how precious they are to him. And if you hurt one of these little ones, now, I know that this is designed to be talking about believers, but it can't be a correct comparison if there isn't truth in the standard. In other words, if you're going to use a comparison that this is like that, that this has to be true, or that that isn't true, so that this, in this instance, is little children, actual small kids, they're precious to God. Therefore, God's children, they're pre- Hurt them, and it's like you're hitting, hurting a little child. Does pedophilia hurt a little one? I think that we would say, yeah. Yeah, they do. Now, that's three implied verses on this subject. That's not where we end with making, de- designing and defining a worldview. I lose my pre-understandings. I look for the explicit verses. I didn't have any. I've got my implicit verses. Boy, it's pointing toward uh, wrong, wrong. Hold on. There's more categories here. What does church history have to say about this? What has been the understanding throughout church history? I don't think you're going to find anybody credible who even hints that this is acceptable behavior. So I've got, now remember church history isn't Bible, but nevertheless, it's not, I I can still glean from that. So church history tells me, ugh. Now I know in pagan cultures, they went, fine, by us, doesn't make any difference. Because the powerful are the ones who get to determine whatever they want to do. Didn't make any difference. Isn't that funny? How these progressives are on the Wrong side of history. What else do I consider? Testimony. What what does this say about my testimony? In my culture, at my time, if I'm having a relationship with a child, what is that going to say about my relationship with Jesus Christ? I think it's pretty safe yet, as a rule, people are going to go, what? What about the gospel? That's another category. What does the gospel speak this. How do I take this idea that Jesus died for sinners? God loves to save dirty people. How do I apply that that has been done for me? Well, I think the implication in this instance is why would I want to do something that would hurt somebody? Clearly, this hurts a child who does not have the adult level of thinking and knowledge in order to rightly participate in this on any cognitive or emotional level that is fully functioning Why would I want to hurt somebody when the gospel is all about helping? The gospel is all about flourishing, not harming now. I return to my presupposition or my pre understandings. Is there anything from those pre understandings that I bring now into the conversation about pedophilia? I just happen to think it's icky. Well I've already covered that with unnatural affection, so I think I'm justified and warranted in that. I think it harms a kid. Yep, we see that with Jesus and Matthew talking about don't harm these little kids. Don't harm don't harm my spiritual children and don't harm, because you shouldn't be harming these little kids. I, I think my pre understandings now are justified. Typically in my pre-understandings I'm going to find any objections to this. So I'm going to find objections like maybe there's, there, there this was my last category by the way, objections. Well there's there's it's arbitrary, 16, 18, 24, whatever. Who, who says what a child is? Fair enough. But I think we can have some agreement at some level, can I think as a society, I get to I get to call on culture at this moment and say, how old does somebody need to be to do something that is less um, damaging? Voting. Do we let twelve-year-olds vote? No, we've agreed eighteen. Owning a gun. Eighteen. Serving in the military. Eighteen. Mm. Determining one's own gender. Three. Okay, I can't use that because that's what people are pushing for, but I can actually use the argument, wait a second, you're telling me that you're going to let a kid determine his or her own gender at the age of three, which is what some people are pushing for in Great Britain, I got the story here someplace, somewhere in Great Britain they're saying, hey, the age of three, it's just fine if a kid determines a gender, and yet... We, we, we wait until they're 18 for these other lesser decisions. Got it right here. Children as young as three could be helped to change gender by doctors on the basis of just a Skype phone call under a plan being considered by the NHS. The Gender Identity Clinic will prescribe hormone-blocking drugs to children that are a couple of years out of diapers. Huh. So, 21 to drink. You've got to be a legal smoker, 18 in Great Britain. 16 to start driving a car, but three to determine your gender. The world's not consistent, but I can still bring that into my argument of making the worldview that pedophilia is a wicked thing to do to a child because as a culture we determine there are some things kids should be doing and some things that children shouldn't be doing. And being intimate with somebody who is older especially is a double whammy. And so that is how then I ultimately form my worldview. This is what I do with the subject of pedophilia, and that is the process that you should follow regarding any worldview issue. Idea at wretched.org, idea at wretched.org. Oh, boy. Todd, writes Chris, can, should a person who is disqualified from ministry for divorce or adultery, pursue a degree or a career in biblical counseling after genuine repentance? I think the issue is, where does biblical counseling fit in the role of elder? Is anybody confused, or does it point toward having the qualifications of an elder being a biblical counselor. Well, divorce always gets tricky. Um, some some sort of sin in the past, when did it happen, pre-Christian, post-Christian, all of that. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that it's a sin to become a biblical counselor after after a whopper of a sin that has been repented of, perhaps a season, a lengthy one, longer than, say, we would give to, I don't know, somebody like mm, Todd Bentley, that there should be a longer season where then you can, you can become a trained biblical counselor because you can then use that to help other people. Counselor, there might be some bumpers that you want to put around that, but I don't think that you could make the law and say that somebody who has sinned in the past can't be a biblical counselor. The issue of elder, I don't, I, I don't think that it falls underneath that umbrella. Now, should a biblical counselor at least meet the qualifications of a deacon probably a good idea you're dealing with somebody's tender soul and dealing with a lot of emotional issues so i think the congregation in working with your pastor and with your elders you should work through it very very carefully if you disagree that has been known to happen please send your case to idea at wretched.org idea at wretched.org because uh i don't know if you knew this (laughs) because This may sound crazy, but I'm not right about everything. There I said it. Idea at wretched.org. This is Wretched Radio. Would you please like, subscribe, or share this video so other people can enjoy this professional Christian content.
0: Beautiful, beautiful You never change, never change up. Beautiful, beautiful, you never change,
1: never change Forever you reign, you remain the same You will never change, you will never change Immutable, beautiful, beautiful, you never change, never change That was Immutable by Shilin Anyway, if I do more about Shilin, go but com. L-A-M-P-M-O-D-E dot C-M that's the record label and also if you want to find out uh, more about the teachers so what the the Bible teach about failure. that's what we have before that's from Wretched and you can go to Wretched um, on their YouTube channel is W-R-E-T-C-T-D or go to Wretched.org for their website they have a, a Radio show or podcast, same thing. And um, also a TV show. And go to wretched.org. That's W R E T C H E D dot O R G. Wretched.org. And if you want to find out more about us, uh, our website, go to com. T R U T H B E T O L D R A D I O dot com. Trupetotalradio.com. And let's see What I'm going to do for you next Is I'll play another one Shine Shinen's Supreme Let me start this off with a hallelujah. To Jesus, the sovereign ruler. This is not a rumor. Got the truth that we about to school you. Check out a style maneuver, Shout it to you. Like the loudest that's whoopers. Christ put us up from out the sewer. We don't have to doubt the future. Crafting our verses. As we bask in his worship, you asking the purpose. Partly just cash from the furnace. Through Jesus' extravagant service, immaculate purchase. He was smashing the serpent, and we only scratching the surface. He's the with was conceived in the womb of a virgin. The sun emerges in the manger. While the angels serenade him. the birth of the savior, the greater Andy. Came a man, came as a lamb and would be executed to execute the plan to substitute the sand. In the place of the wicked, on the cross he was lifted. But we considered him stricken and afflicted, just like the prophets predicted. He came at the proper moment to stop his opponent and laid down his life to offer atonement. He's the most magnificent, the total antithesis of insufficient. the blessed, the glory blended, transcendent, difficult to comprehend, independent
3: of space and time. But presently present, suspending the heavens with speech. From coast to coast, he speaks peace to wind and seas. Got heavenly hosts easily posted on bended knees. Controls the cosmos with the most authority. So we both in the most. To go to king Christ, the priest. He's the sovereign thriller, the awesome healer, the law fulfiller, the solemn killer, the proper villain, no goddess you yeah. We can take any time in the scripture, put the gate into prominent picture. See his light turning right in the night, and the fright in the might in the diamond mixture. See his name at all the Ronaldo, when he came for the loss and he found, low. He was tamed in floss all around, but remained for the manger, to cross, or the crown. Yo, Satan had a shirt hold on him, twice for the rope, but dope in. All to the eyes to the S to the E to the N, that's what we're hoping in. Risen on it, spell check, the risen king can rinse clean, the most with rebellious. I was hell bound now I'm spell is born. I'm a bond servant to the word of life. Uh, call me a sellout. I was. With a price, we gotta hope they won't fail us when we return to the dust. We will rise up just like the one who justified us. It's not wishful thinking when the truth's thinking. We are clinging to the promises that God bringing an everlasting kingdom.
10: Nothing can compare to the worth of what we inherited. Nothing in heaven on earth can measure what Christ merited. The skies declare the affairs of His glorious care. The God who is there, was aware, the delights in our prayer. His purposes are permanent and perfectly proportioned. Everything that orbits around His glory, is subordinate. He is the most excellent. One one, intrinsic, infinite son. Preeminent, the name, par excellence, prenom, phenomenon. He's
8: beyond phenomenon, you see. The father of cosmology, the abba of astronomy. He's part of we, of pottery. It's shocking, Jesus died for me. The father, he adopted me and constantly provides for me. Whether or not I got degrees, you gotta see his odyssey. From sovereignty and lottery, to poverty and robbery, to resurrected bodily. Apocalyptic prophecy, he's stopping all the mockery and scholarly snobbery that don't acknowledge him properly. You ought to be on bended knee before the preeminent, it's awfully Arrogance to reject them to your detriment.
0: Study the development from old to new testament. You'll find a theme that's prevalent from age to age, it's relevant. Christ is on its energy, forget religious sentiments that center on man, but something less is what you're settling. He is the most excellent, exercising benevolence. And blessing a remnant with the benefits of disinheritance. Listen yeah. of sinners that separated and segregated. That severed the relations between man and his maker. And placed Christ on his costly cross and compensated his life, death, and resurrection. Emancipated and gave us
10: Freedom from it all, freedom from the effects of the fall, freedom from Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden and from the law, so the saints stand and applaud His grace and glorious cause with hands raised, praising His name, singing
0: glory to God. <laughs> <laughs> Christ sister, <free. laughs>
11: this is angel uh it was a difficult interview because angel called himself a christian but he didn't have the things that accompany salvation at one point i thought he might rearrange my face but he stayed with it for which i was thankful uh angel said he was a christian but he fornicated and looked at pornography every day and he blasphemed God's name regularly and it was a real test as to the depth of my love for him because I could have just said well, okay praise the Lord see you later but if we love someone we should tell them that they need to genuinely repent It flies in the face of the guys that say we don't need to tell people to repent they often show up on this YouTube channel and call me a heretic because I preach repentance and say things like heaven rejoices when one sinner comes to repentance god commands all men everywhere to repent they say things like the gospel of john doesn't even mention repentance Well, the gospel of luke doesn't mention the new birth but the new birth is necessary so this is the fruit of the modern gospel a lawless convert it's called antinomianism when there's no regard for divine law and it's rooted in idolatry a wrong understanding of the character and nature of god and you, are you a christian i am a christian how do I become a Christian And why should I become
10: a Christian I think that's kind of A hard question um, The way I became About becoming a Christian Was through my family So um, I felt like I was kind of Just maybe in the right place At the right time My parents kind of like Just guided me Into like The Lord And church And things like that And I definitely felt His presence In a lot of things But At the same time I felt a lot of like Worldly things That like Kept me away from it So like it's kind of just like That's where I see myself As a Christian That's where that's what being a Christian Really is Kind of like um,
11: it's One of your feet in the world And one in the church Is that what you're saying?
10: No yeah definitely I, I see I, I would See myself as Someone who was Two faced Definitely uh, at, at the moment And I'm Trying to like um, Better myself And try to be More Christ like Because the Bible says Whoever's a
11: friend of the world Is an enemy of God Did you know that? Yeah so we've got to get this fixed up because this is your eternity.
10: My religion kind of coincides with the way I think about life. So that's kind of like where I've made a lot of different changes to like Christianity and what I think is because I still smoke weed every day. I still do drugs and I still do other things like that. And you know, I fornicate. And I fornicate and I look at pornography. I do all that stuff every day. I had
11: used the if word when we first met. Oh, yeah, of course.
10: Yeah. That's part of my vocabulary, though. I can also huh? use different Much bigger words. Now, do you think you're a good person? I know I'm a good person.
11: How many lies have you told in your life? Countless lies. You ever stolen something? All the time. You're a lying thief?
10: Lying thief. Do you
11: still think you're a good person? I'm a good person. The dictionary gives 40 different definitions of good. Actually, it's more than 40. Number one is moral excellence. I'm not morally excellent. You're not morally excellent. So when God says good, He means morally excellent, and that's what we're talking about. That's the standard God's going kind to of judge by. So let's get back to the questions, and believe me, you'll thank me at the end of this. All right? You will. So,
10: John, I'm, I'm trying to thank you now, but it's really hard to hear. You'll
11: just stay with me, I know, because this is difficult for you. Have you ever used God's name in vain? All the time. Okay, that's blasphemy. It's using God's name as a cuss word, punishable by death in the Old Testament. Now, have you looked at pornography or looked at women with lust? Yes. Remember Jesus said, whoever looks upon a woman to lust for her has committed adultery already with her in his heart. So, angel, I'm not judging you, okay? Right. You've admitted to me you're a lying thief, a blasphemer, and an at heart, and this is what I'm leading up to. If God judges you by the Ten Commandments, we've looked at four on Judgment Day, are you going to be innocent or guilty?
10: I'm going to be guilty. Heaven, or, heaven or hell. I'm going to hell, uh, if that's what you think.
11: The Bible says all liars will have their part in the lake of fire. No thief, no adulterer, no fornicator will inherit the kingdom of God. And let me tell you what I did before I was a Christian. I violated the first and the second of the Ten Commandments by making a God in my own image. I had my own image of God. I didn't create an idol with my hands. I had an idol with my mind. It's kind of a snuggly God that had no sense of justice or righteousness or truth. And that's called an idol. The sin is called idolatry when we make a God we feel comfortable with. And the Bible says idolaters will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because an idol won't tell you what to do, and so it won't make you feel guilty. But the God of the Bible is just and holy, and the scripture says wrath abides on you if you're not sheltered by the blood of Christ. Now, tell me, what did God do for guilty sinners so we wouldn't have to go to hell? Do you remember that?
8: It was crucified.
11: Yeah, you and I broke God's law. Jesus came and paid the fine. That's what happened on that cross. That's why he called out, it is finished. In other words, the debt has been paid. If you're in court, angel. And someone pays your parking fine, even though you're guilty, the judge can let you go. He can say, Angel's guilty, but someone's paid his fine. He's out of here. What's case dismissed. Well, God can dismiss your case, forgive your and sins. I, and I know this, but what's your, what's your whole point to this? Leading up to here. it. God can dismiss your case, forgive your sins, grant you everlasting life as a free gift the moment you repent and trust in Christ because of what Jesus did
5: on the cross.
10: And I know this.
5: The video will continue in a few seconds, but I wanted to remind you to please subscribe to our channel and click on the notifications bell. And don't forget to like, comment, and share. Thank you. And then when you truly repent, the
11: Bible speaks of fruit of repentance. If you're truly saved, you have a, if you have a genuine conversion, there will be the fruit of holiness, the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faith, meekness, and temperance. The tree will be known by its fruits. Um, And so I love you enough to say, angel, examine yourself and see if you're in the faith, because there's such a thing as a false conversion.
10: I understand where you're coming from. Does
11: it make sense to you?
10: I understand where you're coming from.
11: I'm coming from the scriptures.
10: I understand where you're coming from. And I believe that what you believe is true, but there are different people in the world, and there are different outcomes to the world. What you might think is positive, someone else might not think is positive. So... Like I said, what I think is what being a Christian is to me is being more Christ-like. There are definitely things that, I've, that I do, that I've done, that I, that I, I regret, that, that God can definitely keep me out of, out of, you know, I don't even want to, I don't know, I don't know how to explain it, but there's, there's things that I've done that are, that are bad, that are that are bad, right? But there's also things that I can do in the future, that I can do, that I do now, that I, who I am now.
11: Okay. Angel, thank you for listening to me. I thank you for your patience with me. I right. said some harsh things, and really, you're, you're very patient. me for a
10: second. Yeah, and it's
11: because as the scriptures say open rebuke is better than secret love. and I'm just trying, I'm just trying to be
10: open-minded and let you speak. think
11: Are you going to think about this? Yeah.
1: YouTube page W L I V I N G W A T E R S Living Waters, and they got a website LivingWaters dot com
0: too.
1: And it's, and that was the one about says, "Profession Christian does lead in pornography." days and yeah, he's just he's like went to thinking that he could, I think that he thinks that. He does good, too, or something like that. The way he does it is the way they should, but he needs to repent. <laughs> Let's see. They're playing their song. This is from Shailen Starling Mystery. here on Trooper
8: Unkind place with crime face, seeking the devil's wine taste. In my case, I was just on a blind chase, a mind waste, trapped in my after nine ways. But Christ braced himself, entered into time space, divine brace the branches could find grace. When light rays hit the soul, the paradigm shakes. Sublime race, run it at predefined pace. Now me and Jesus are closer than intertwined lace. And by faith, we behold his divine face. So as we're lifting up our praise to you, you, receive it, Lord. The object of our affection, whom we adore, falling in our misery. You daughter into history, the pardon of iniquity, startling the mystery. Mysteries, mysteries. The
9: oceans, the plains, mountains, the rain. The universe proclaims the glory of your name And what am I that you called me to your sight And took this out of stone and broke it open wide
8: truly understand your depths. And you this like you're the source of every man's breath. Your mysteries, the sharpest of minds, can't guess. They stand perplexed. Can't fathom what you plan next. In the garden, we failed your commands test. We transgress. Now our world is a grand mess. Lord, you're perfect, so why should you demand less? Man's breath is only a sinking sand quest. But through Christ, watch God's saving hand flex. Redeem the people, north, south, east, and west. Glorious robes. In the promised land dress, we stand blessed All because of the Lamb's death So as we're lifting up our praise to you, receive it, Lord The object of our affection, who we adore Falling in our misery, daughter in the history The pardon of iniquity, startling the mystery
9: The ocean, the plains, the mountains, the rain The universe proclaims the glory of your name and what am I that you called me to your side? And took this out of stone and broke it open wide!
1: Island Starling Mystery featuring Clinton. And that's how I got for tributary you to go out with Yancy and friends. And bye for now. The beat.